both are providing public statements assuring that they would allow the humanitarian aid on certain conditions. However, those conditions are very difficult to meet. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. As I am recording this, it is Wednesday morning in the United States and Wednesday evening in Tel Aviv, where President Biden is wrapping up a visit to Israel. The trip was intended to also include a meeting in Amman, Jordan, with Palestinian President Abbas, King Abdullah of Jordan, and President Sisi of Egypt. That leg of the trip was abruptly canceled following the tragedy at the hospital in Gaza. Much of the Arab world blames Israel for the hospital bombing, while Israel and the United States claim it was an errant rocket from Gaza that destroyed the hospital, killing nearly 500 people. Meanwhile, the humanitarian situation in Gaza is becoming increasingly dire. According to the latest reports from the United Nations, fuel is running out, water supplies are running dangerously low, some one million people are displaced, and several hundreds of thousands of those people have fled to southern Gaza near the Egyptian border in the hopes of finding some modicum of refuge and relief. As Air Force One traveled to Israel, the situation was as dangerous and as volatile as it had been since the October 7th Hamas terrorist attacks. Moments before I caught up with my guest today, Nancy O'Kale, President Biden had delivered a speech in Tel Aviv in which he said that he secured an agreement from Israel's war cabinet for the provision of humanitarian relief into Gaza. And this relief would come mostly via Gaza's border with Egypt. Nancy O'Kale is president of the Center for International Policy, a think tank in Washington, D.C. She's also an Egyptian activist and scholar, and in our conversation, explains some of the political considerations that are driving Egypt's response to the unfolding crisis. This includes why Egypt won't let Gazans flee across the border into Sinai, and the kind of assurances that the Egyptian government needs in order to let aid flow across its border into Gaza. 
The Egyptian government is a key diplomatic player in addressing what is a mounting humanitarian emergency over the border in Gaza. And this conversation gives you a really useful way of understanding what is driving CC and the Egyptian government's decision making at this point. Here at Global Dispatches, we will continue to provide coverage of this unfolding crisis, including the view from Lebanon, another very important variable in this entire situation. I would also encourage you to sign up for our newsletter at globaldispatches.org, in which we are providing frequent updates from the United Nations and other key fronts of the diplomatic and humanitarian response to this crisis. Please visit globaldispatches.org to sign up for the newsletter. And as always, please support our work through your purchase of a premium subscription. Thank you. Now here is my conversation with Nancy O'Kale, president of the Center for International Policy. Nancy, thank you so much for speaking with me. We are speaking really moments after Biden delivered his address in Tel Aviv. What were some of your key takeaways from his speech, which concluded just moments ago? I think Biden's speech, in theory, was balanced and measured. He addressed at least most of the issues that need to be addressed. He expectedly repeated his unequivocal support for Israel and unequivocal condemnation of the attacks by Hamas on October 7th. And he expressed his sentiments and condolences for the people of Israel. At the same time, he did acknowledge that there is nothing that would justify the civilian harm in Gaza. He did acknowledge the crisis of the attack on the hospital last night in Gaza. Unlike what was in the news just shortly before the speech that he gave about mentioning that there are intelligence or credible intelligence that the missile that was hit and bombed the hospital was from Hamas side and not from Israel side. He did not mention that in the speech. And I think that was wise because it's very difficult to make such claims in this important and sort of historic speech. And he recognized that this should stop. He did stress an important point of the importance and the right for Palestinians to have access to food, water, and that the trucks of the humanitarian aid should be allowed into Gaza. And he got confirmation from the Israeli cabinet about that. But he did mention the inspection part, which mm-hmm. is one of the two problematic issues of the passage of the humanitarian aid. So there are two problems. Well, first is the basic condition is that for that to be safe, for the trucks to pass. Now, until yesterday, Israel has bombed the Gaza passage for the fourth time. Mm -hmm. This is the Rafah crossing. This is presumably where 
trucks there you know, as the situation as it currently stands now is that there is just aid that is like massing on the Egyptian side of the Gaza border. And there are people who are massing on the Gaza side of the border and sort of unjamming that situation requires diplomacy. And at least to me, one of the significant outcomes from this Biden visit to Israel was indeed announcing that somehow that aid will cross that border, the mechanics of which I guess are are to be seen. Absolutely. And again, it's one of the important objectives that he should have and he did achieve, at least in theory, because the devil lies in the details. Until yesterday, the Rafah passage has been bombed for the fourth time by the Israeli missiles. And at the same time, comes the critical and controversial issue of the inspection. Now, the Israeli side says that they would not allow any humanitarian trucks before they thoroughly inspect the trucks because, I mean, they are worried either this is a passage of Hamas fighters or supporters, and also it could be a way to smuggle weapons into Gaza. So. I guess just having covered these kinds of crises for a while, the inspections part, it seems is like a relatively straightforward way to work around that. We've seen these situations in the past, whether it's aid going to northern Syria from Turkey, or actually most recently in like the Black Sea Grain Initiative, where you had that kind of condition of inspections before goods could flow one way or the other. But it seemed up till now, it was really like a political impasse and a diplomatic impasse that was preventing aid from reaching Gaza. It hasn't reached it yet. So, you know, we can't like count our chickens before they're hatched. But the crisis there is is so dire that it seemed to just demand that something happened, that aid and water and food and electricity start to flow. Absolutely. And the Egyptian side is very clear that having Israeli soldiers on Egyptian soil inspecting the trucks is a non-starter. For them, it's an issue of capacity, it's an issue of security, but most of all, it's an issue of political sensitivity and optics. So I'm really glad you brought up Egyptian sensitivities and al-Sisi's kind of stance right now. You know, Sisi and Abbas canceled their meeting with Biden that was supposed to happen later today in Jordan because of the tragedy at the hospital and the sort of political sentiments that it has rightfully inflamed. Yet Sisi is still nonetheless playing a very important role in all this because it is from Egypt that aid might flow to Gaza. What are some of the diplomatic and political considerations that is guiding Sisi right now? Let's take a step back and look at the conditions in Egypt right before the attack happened. Egypt has been going through a huge economic decline, a high inflation and skyrocketing prices of food and beverage, and a huge unprecedented level of foreign debt. So this is the economic situation. The CC is very aware of it and has been trying to address it through the media in various ways that this is necessary because we're building a nation and people should tolerate 
these circumstances. Now, he understands that his words can only go so far if people are not able to put food on their table. Adding to that, that we are weeks away from the presidential elections. Even if we know that these are not going to be fair and free elections and that we know the results ahead of time, it's still a moment where there is some sort of mobilization, there people are talking, people are considering and at least assessing the past 10 years under his rule since the military coup in 2013. So he is facing of what we call an economic crisis coupled with a political legitimacy crisis. If we bring into the equation the issue and the sensitivity of having what the Palestinians are being exposed to right now, this makes his ability to maintain stability and control very difficult. He understands also that the Arab people and the Arab population connect with each other and the, the sentiments are very close. And we have seen the demonstrations in Morocco and in Jordan and in Lebanon and even in Turkey over the past few days. And it already started in Cairo. So this is his biggest fear. Of course, he has declared his very clear opposition of the idea of moving a large number of Palestinians from Gaza to Sinai. And he unequivocally said it clearly that this is not something that he would accept. And is the reason he wouldn't accept it because he would fear it's like a destabilizing force within Egypt? You know, under normal circumstances, you would expect people to be allowed to flee across an international border to safety, but that's just not the case right now. So what is the core of Sisi's objection to letting Gazans flee as refugees into Sinai? There are two points about the reason behind his objection. There is a declared one and there is a logistical capacity and competence one. The declared one is that by doing that, we would be betraying the Palestinian cause and we would be helping further control of the Israeli side on controlling further land and helping the occupation and helping the displacement of Palestinians and turning them into refugees. That's the declared reason. But in reality, it's both a competence issue and a political issue, and they are connected. The Egyptian government have been trying to fight militants in Sinai for the past 10 years. Of course, the height of that time was in 2013 and gotten even to its peak in 2015 when a group called Ansar Beit al-Maqdis pledged allegiance to ISIS and called themselves Wulayat Sinai. And there were massive attacks and loss of lives and killing both of Egyptian army officers and civilians. This has calmed down a bit over the past few years. However, the attacks has been sustained on checkpoints. There has been continuous loss of 
lives or injuries inflicted on Egyptian army officers. But most importantly, last July, we're talking about less than three months ago, there was a coordinated attack that was committed by a militant group in Sinai who encircled and sieged one of the most fortified security facilities in Sinai, in northern Sinai in Arish. The alleged cause of that is that they were trying to free some of the prisoners. They continued to have fighting for hours, at least six hours. Three officers died and 21 was injured. Why is this significant? Well, first of all, I mean, the ability for them to have such coordination in an area that is heavily secured in Arish. Their number was not big, but they were able to fight back the Egyptian army for hours. That also reflects a failure in competence of intelligence, not being able to detect that something like that would happen. And thirdly, there was a complete opacity about what really happened. The Egyptian government did not issue a statement until today. And most of the things that we know about it, we either know from inside information people who spoke on basis of anonymity, but there was nothing declared there. This incident is an indication of the lack of competence of the Egyptian government, both in terms of ability to secure these areas in Sinai and also their inability to have much needed intelligence to anticipate such attacks. So having a large number of Palestinians moving from Gaza into Sinai, that would even multiply this sort of security challenge. Now, there is a political aspect of it, and this is not my analysis. It was something that was clearly stated to be by a very high official in the Egyptian general intelligence back in 2018 when Jared Kushner was trying to push on the peace deal, which basically entailed throwing money over the problem. The Egyptian official was saying, I mean, they were trying to promise us to build and develop an industrial zone on the borders of Sinai that would be a good source of economic development for Egypt. And at the same time, the condition is to allow Palestinians in Gaza to move into Sinai, allegedly just for a day permit work in those new industrial plants. Now, the Egyptian official who spoke to me at that time said, this is absolutely impossible for us to accept because simply, and he gave me the example, if one of the Palestinian workers came in and he broke the curfew of the 24 hours that they would spend for the day work, and stayed over time, and the Egyptian security forces dealt with him in a way, in a simple mistake, the next day you would find protests erupting in Egypt that we would not be able to contain. So this is just an example of a time that we did not 
even have this type of escalation and volatility in the region and this level of fighting and they were having disconcert. Now the situation is much worse. The security situation is more difficult. The sentiments in the Egyptian street and the Arab streets is just very high and angry. And just before we spoke, I just saw a tweet that the Israeli embassy in Cairo is evacuating its employees, which reflects a legitimate concern. So given all of these really extreme sensitivities by the Egyptian government right now, what sort of assurances do you think that they might require in order to be kind of part of the solution here, at least in terms of getting aid over the border into Gaza? I mean, Later today, Biden is meant to be speaking with Sisi by phone this time. Their their in-person meeting was canceled. What would it take then for Sisi and the Egyptian government to be part of the solution here, at least on a humanitarian basis? Well, for Sisi to be collaborative on this issue, and he wants to be collaborative because he cannot also appear to be preventing humanitarian aid from going into Gaza. This would also instigate the same anger in the Egyptian streets as with all the other issues that I just discussed with you. However, he would need guarantees that this would not be a gateway for moving Gazans through the Rafah passage into Sinai. He wants a guarantee that there would be no breach of Egyptian security authority by Israeli soldiers with the excuse of inspections. Now, all of these things are complicated and in reality might be facing surmountable challenges on both sides. Because as I said, and this takes me back to what we mentioned at the beginning, is that what Biden said is good and measured and balanced in theory. And he addressed the important parts. But When it comes to both sides, the Israeli side and the Egyptian side, both are providing public statements assuring that they would allow the humanitarian aid on certain conditions. However, those conditions are very difficult to meet. For example, well, a few days ago, the Egyptian government said that they would allow the passage of foreign nationals from Gaza through the Rafah border only if they just need to take the permit into coming in from the Palestinian side of the Rafah passage. Well, that side is already non-operational. So even though the declared position is, yes, we would allow that, but they just need to get the permit from the Palestinian side, In practice, that doesn't happen. The same thing with the Israelis, mentioning that probably as per the speech of President Biden, that he got an agreement with the Israeli cabinet that they would allow the trucks immediately into Sinai, but given the condition of the inspections and the level of these inspections and what it would entail may create a huge challenge for that to happen. Adding to that, the continuous bombing of the Rafah passage, which makes it impossible, at least 
for the safety of the staff and the drivers of the humanitarian trucks and the paramedics. And maybe it's just worth emphasizing that there's not a lot of time to figure out these other contingencies and figure out a, a way around these demands by both sides because you know the people in Gaza are running out of water, like literally running out of water. I think the Israeli side is aware of that. And that's why a priority right now is to push for truce or what we would call a humanitarian ceasefire so that we would be able to save the lives and allow people to have access to their basic needs for water and food and ability to move in safe spaces. Thank you so much, Nancy, for speaking with me really at the last moment and with such authority. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Mark. I really enjoyed talking to you and thank you for covering this important issue. Thanks for listening to Global Dispatches. The show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg. It is edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to follow the show and enable automatic downloads to get new episodes as soon as they're released. On Spotify, tap the bell icon to get a notification when we publish new episodes. And of course, please visit globaldispatches.org to get on our free mailing list, get in touch with me, and access our full archive. Thank you.